We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Bridgerson and Jasmine Allnut, and we're really excited about today's program. Yes, which women is worth knowing. Women we worth have knowing. a woman worth knowing with one. us. A live, yeah, we got a live one, folks. So, <laughs> so we're so excited because uh, both Jasmine and I just love our guest today, Pamela Markey. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to get her for a little while here. Yeah, but but she's such a busy lady. Well, you're just <laughs> never in town. Well, that too. Yeah. Well, you live in a foreign country in California. So. Yes. Yes, yeah, that's true. It is it's a, a long way from here. wherever yeah. I am, whether it's Indiana or somewhere else. That's right. <laughs> Another place. So where are you right now, geographically? I mean, I know you're in California, but where are you living right now? So at the moment, when I leave here, I'm going to go back to Indiana. Okay. Where I'll be till the end of the summer. And then I'm moving to Georgia, the country. Mm-hmm. The country. And I'm going to be there for a while. For the long haul. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's go back to the very beginning, where you were born and what your growing up years looked like. I was actually born in Huntington, West Virginia. Okay. When I was seven, my parents were in the ministry. My dad was a pastor, and we went to uh, Southern Rhodesia, and that's where I spent most of my childhood. Now, what was the draw for your father to go to Rhodesia? It it actually was the Lord, because Mm -hmm. he was a, a vet, had been in World War II, mm-hmm. decorated, by the way. Wow. And uh, my mom was from Tennessee. They grew up in Gary, Indiana during the Depression and so forth. But then when he came back from the Army, he had a decision to make, whether he was going to really follow the Lord, he'd grown up in a Christian home, or whether he was going to completely. He was like an all-or-nothing person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he threw away his cigarettes. That was a big no-no. And, um, and decided to go to Bible college. And so he did that, made friends with another young man who was going to go to uh, become a doctor. And so they communicated with each other and they went to a conference back then. And the two of them was just the two of them without their wives, you know. And so the Dr. Pruitt, he goes, so what, what do you think? Why don't we go to Africa? <laughs> and so they get the map out and they kind of go, where shall we go in Africa? And they oh kind of pointed gosh. out the place. He comes back to my mom and he says, Marjorie, how would you like to go to Africa? And she said, no. <laughs> and so... Being As very, any very sane woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very wise man. Yes. He said, Okay, I'm not going to bring it up again. Wow. And my mom said, The Lord would not leave her alone for a year. Wow. Oh, wow. And she just asked all those questions, but what this, what about that? What about and in the end the Lord said, Well, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. So what about my children? What's going to happen? Then he gave her a dream. My mom, I mean, we were in a very non-sort of charismatic church, but my mother was charismatic. You might relate to that. And she had a dream. Mm -hmm. And in the dream, she had this cornfield. And in each ear of corn was a face, uh, an African person's face. Wow. Wow. And the Lord just, and she said that was the breaking point. Then she went back to my dad. Like she's a very kind of charismatic kind of person. And she goes, so John. How would you like to go to Africa? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Now, did they go with the missionary organization? No, because the churches that we were with at the time, they were independent. Okay. And so you would travel to the various churches and talk. And he was a pastor, so that church got behind him. And then they did what we called back in those days, what is it like? Deputation. That was kind of the word. And so then they traveled. And my mom was a musician. Okay. And so she, you know, did that and he did revivals with quotes on both sides. So they had people that were behind them. 
What did it look like to grow up in Rhodesia as a child of missionaries? You know, at seven, my brother was just like a year and a half older and I had a younger brother at the time. And it was kind of normal because Uh that's what we did at that time. We just went where our parents went. And it was an adventure because we went over by ship. Mm -hmm. We didn't fly in those days. It was 1956. And it was fun. I mean, we were on board ship and we were on a freighter. So there were only like 12 other passengers. And I remember when we, you know, we played on board ship. It was just fun. And then when we got to Cape Town, actually, and uh, we stayed there somewhere. And I remember, I don't remember everything, but I remember walking the streets with my brother, Sherman. And he's just 18 months older. And we just looked around. We said, wow, wonder what state this is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so, you know. And we just took it as it came. I mean, there were difficult times later growing up because I went to boarding school and stuff. But boarding school, like in in the country, in, in the country, it was okay. a I guess we'd call it a secular boarding school. Okay. It was in Bulawayo, and yeah, and, and we were stationed in the bush. And so, that so was did just part so you of life. didn't live on like did you live on a missionary compound or mm-hmm. did you okay? It was actually in the days of that kind mm-hmm. of. So the way it worked there was that you would go and the government would allow you to go into tribal reserve land. Mm-hmm. And if the people who lived in the tribal reserve land received you, you would be given a portion of land. Mm-hmm. But you had, sometimes you went and you got voted on, like the Catholics mm-hmm. and okay. my dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Which the one? priest would stand on one side and, and then the people would vote bodily. Wow. They'd say, who would you like to come? Because what you would promise wow. to do was to start schools. Okay. And so they'd say, who would you like to have to come and start the school? So then if you were invited by the chief and the tribal area there, then you got a certain, we got a hundred acres. And it came with conditions that you had to have a a school built by a certain time, certain place. So my dad learned how to burn bricks and do all those kind of things that he never did before. Um, And and you actually, I look back now through my lens and I think they were building community, what Mm -hmm. we would call. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just surviving. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we started out in a mud hut. Okay. You know, and then we built and we got to live in one of the buildings that was built and stuff. So it was, yeah. So your dad did all the building. I mean, I'm assuming he had I mean, health, with everybody yeah. around him. Yeah. Yes. That's he awesome. learned how to mix. And we had a Jeep that had come over on the ship actually with a trailer and he loaded, you know, sand and lime. When we had our first actual house, which was a couple of years later, they wanted to have a fireplace. There's no central heating and it does get cool. And so he got out the Encyclopedia Britannica and he built a, a, a chimney and a fireplace and it wow. worked. So it's like Encyclopedia that, yeah. Britannica is good. That's like a version amazing. of YouTube videos yeah, it's today. Really, it's yeah. YouTube video or Google or something, yeah. you know. And, so, yeah. so you actually then, you know, your whole experience, I mean, did you have any other like American friends on the compound or around you or were you full immersion? We were full immersion pretty mm. much. Wow. Uh, awesome. Zimbabwe or sa- Southern Rhodesia at the time because it was a British Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So English is taught from grade one okay. in the schools. And so um, later on, of course, Shono, which was the language of the people where we were living. But we were one family at that point. The doctor who was in with my dad hadn't finished training. They came two years later. Okay. And so their family, then I had friends from America, but where I really formed friends was when I had to go away to boarding school. Mm. Now, how old were you when you had to go to boarding school? I was nine. Nine. Mm, And did your brothers have to go too? My older brother went first. Okay. And we were really close. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I just grieved for him because mm-hmm. I wanted to be with him. I didn't realize what it would be like to not be with my family, you right. know. And so my mom tried to teach me this an admission, homeschool me through a British system. We did it by mail. And I, I was really horrible to teach. <laughs> I was horrible. And she was pregnant with my third brother. Mm-hmm. And so she was sick and throwing up. And, you know, it was a hard job. And so I said, Mom, I'll just take care of you because I, I wanted to get into medicine anyway. My dad made me a little hat. I took out the, she got really sick when she was pregnant and I thought it was great. I didn't have to do school. And, um, and they realized that it was very difficult for my mom. It was hard on her and I grieved for my brother. So I went. Mm -hmm. So how long were your parents ministering in Rhodesia? They ministered there for 40 plus years. Wow. Wow. Now Rhodesia is now Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Okay. Now, so you grew up pretty much there, but um, did you ever get to move like back home, like summers? Were summers at home? In those days, travel wasn't that easy. I mean, we didn't have, we had a radio telephone. We didn't have, communication was by air letter, the really lightweight fold them. I don't know if you've seen them. Yes. Where you fold them and you write. And I mean, for example, when we left, my parents counted the cost, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. he didn't know whether he his dad would be alive when we came back. And that was the first hard thing that his dad died, but he didn't find out about it until after the funeral. And I remember him grieving, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, when he was there. So in those days, we weren't under a mission organization, but the expectation was that you'd stay for five years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't go back to the States until I was in junior high. Okay. And that was probably the most difficult adjustment ever oh, because true. I didn't wear the same clothes. I, I thought I spoke English, mm-hmm. but I spoke with a colonial accent. Interesting. Oh, because to- oh, I went to school yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you still do that colonial no, accent? No, I, I, I probably mess up. But <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm in that, uh-huh. even when I'm in England, mm-hmm. I find myself reverting uh, and they'll go, back. you're not, are you from here? You're not from here, but there's something you know different about the way you talk. So. That. And those many, but a colonial accent is different than a British one, as you probably know. Mm-hmm. But still, mm-hmm. it's recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I talk enough to someone, I might you be able to revert back that's, in. Okay. That's so junior high, that's when you moved with relatives? So when we came back, then it had been five years. Mm-hmm. So I was right in that difficult time of adjusting. And my brothers and I moved in with an aunt in Indiana and God bless her. This is before anybody thought anything about third culture kids or anything. And it was just harder for one of my brothers than me. I just wanted to blend in. Mm -hmm. I didn't, of course, I was tall for my age anyway. And so, um, so a year and a half, we lived with my aunt while they traveled all over the United States with my younger brother and difficult time. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Wow. Did you stay in the United States then and finish your education or did no, you, no, we you went, went back? back. We went and back. then it was back to boarding school again. Well, by then we had other people joining us on the mission compound. Right. There was a school, there was a hospital, oh, wow. there was a whole community. Yeah. Plus actually education was the way to go and to actually get the gospel out. And so he would go out in the bush and open up schools and the government would then pay the teachers if he would like train them over oversee yeah, them. Yeah, them and mm-hmm. every school then every school building that was built became also a church uh, and so it was like mm-hmm. 10,000 kids in school throughout that area and every school was a meeting place for wow. the church and so it was huge like you know 
Now your job's quite a, a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, so, no, it was totally a pioneering so. work. Now, were you pulled into the ministry then? Because I know, you know, even when Brian and I went with our kids to serve in England, it was all hands on deck. Yes. You mm-hmm. know, we made our kids teach Sunday school or older too. And, you know, we told our younger two that they were examples and they had to help us and show the other kids who had never been in Sunday school what to do. And so, as yep. I said, all hands. All hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And my dad was definitely very much that way, loving father, but yep. My mm-hmm. mom was really outgoing, and I'm kind of an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I watched her because I loved what she did. Mm. And I mean, we literally, she played the guitar, and we literally go from village to village, and she'd sing, she'd learn the songs, and she'd sing, and we'd just kind of follow behind and be the. So Back we were singers. definitely, yes, yes, we were cheerleaders, and what a training for me. And I, I wasn't an easy child. But anyway, that's beside the point, right? So I know, though, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Jasmine grew up in a Christian home. And I know there's a point, though, when your parents' faith becomes your own faith. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. When did that happen for you, Pamela? I was 15 when I first questioned whether there was a God. Mm-hmm. And I remember waking up at night and thinking, what if this is all not true? Mm-hmm. Wanting to wake my parents but not doing it. And I think that actually started kind of my journey. But watching their lives, and I decided when I was there that I, well, to back up just slightly, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Elliot and the five, yeah. okay, that was the year. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, the year we went to, yes. to Southern Rhodesia. And I saw the layout in, in Life magazine as a child. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's what missionaries do. I need to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, this is it. You you die. That's mm-hmm. that's what you do. And so I thought, okay, we're in Africa. This is normal to me. This is a great place. I'm comfortable here. So when I was 12 or so, I thought, what's the hardest place to go? Russia. The Kremlin, actually. Actually, Khrushchev. Oh. And I'm going to walk in and I'm going to tell him about Jesus and I'm probably going to die. But that's what you do. Oh, my goodness. So then, I know it's pretty gnarly, but anyway, <laughs> and unrealistic. But I told my parents and I remember them just kind of going, oh, hmm. Okay. If you don't see a place for yourself here. I mean, they didn't say that, but I would love mm-hmm. that. And then so I had that sort of thing of, is God really, really there? And I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of tension And so when I was 17, uh, that was the next time that uh, I went to the States and I went to go to to college. My parents said, you can go because I hadn't quite turned 17 yet. And they said, you can go, but you have to go to Bible college first. Mm -hmm. And it's where they had gone, a little college in Kentucky. And then if you go there for two years, you can choose because I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm, You can choose mm -hmm. where you want to go. And so... Praise Jesus. I was obedient to my parents because that's where I met my husband. Uh, it was yes. a lot of years before we got married. But so, so you were like of, 17 or 18 when you first met George? I was 17. Oh, 17. Wow. So was it love at first sight? Um, it's kind of for me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old was he? Was he a lot older? No, he was seven years older than me. Okay. He lied about his age. <laughs> But, but he was, and he was in his last two years and he had accepted the Lord when he was older mm-hmm. and decided he was going to go to Bible college to um, be an elder in a church, never wanted to be a pastor. And he just wanted mm-hmm. to kind of do that. So his background, not, a, not a Christian home, totally a partier and all those kind of things. 21 when he, the Lord just radically saved him, you know? And so, yeah, but I saw him and I thought, hmm, cause I thought American boys were, were kind of not really that appealing. And I saw him and I thought, that is not bad looking for an American guy. <laughs> he's, like, he's okay. He's okay. So, you know, so you, you went to college. Now, how old were you when you married George? 23. 23. Oh, wow. So you had Six been, years. you had been to college. I did the two years of Bible college, and mm-hmm. but I was on a track. We had been dating and everything. 
Mm-hmm. But I just I wasn't ready to do that. And by then he he was going off to be a pastor mm-hmm. in Kentucky in a church there. And we spent time there. And I always thought, well, we can still like like each other, can't mm-hmm. we? And he said, well, let's just kind of, you know, separate, which we did. Oh, okay. and um, and I went on to Indiana University to work on the medical thing. So that whole time you guys weren't together. You just exactly. went to school. Well, I'd focused. see him like once a year. Okay. Maybe at an okay. alumni thing or something like that. And we had those back and forth things, you know, where he was ready. And I thought, well, not, okay, if you're really ready, then pursue me. And he wasn't that, he thought, okay, if you just want to go that way, I'll let you. And I thought, what? I'm <laughs> supposed to like <laughs> mm-hmm. do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the Lord knew what he was doing. So I, I finished um, uh, my degree at IU in, in zoology, actually, and then in wow. Allied Health Sciences, did an internship in Indianapolis, applied for medical school, all of those things. And then kind of just threw away all the letters, you know, because I was still kind of hanging on. I thought, okay, this, this season is over. Mm. Threw them all away. And that, and then he called me and I don't know how I found me. I was living in an apartment. I just passed my exams for medical technology. And so the Jesus people movement had hit the Midwest in Kentucky and he'd been going out on the streets and ministering. And had, and he was at that time, a youth pastor at a church there. And they'd said very similar thing. They just said, you know, if you bring these people in, you need to get them cleaned up. Mm. And he said, well, if they're not clean enough, neither am I. And mm. so he stepped mm. out did a coffee house ministry. And that's when we connected again. And actually to back up, to answer your question about my moment of George and I studied the Bible in Bible college. I went to do it because I liked him and he was studying by himself Romans. And so I just said, yeah, sure. You know, but then he started asking me questions. I thought, I'm going to have to pay attention to what he's saying. (laughs) And also his markings in the old Testament. I think who marked, we were a new Testament church who marks the old Testament. What's he doing with all those markings, you know? And then actually, so the word of God just gripped me. Mm. And that's when, for me, that's when I, I was one of those people who thought I sin every day and I need to confess every night and promise the Lord I won't do it again. And then of course, yeah, know, that didn't happen. Yeah. And then yeah. I decided, okay, that doesn't work. So probably it's not really sin. And so I'm, I'm kind of okay. But then I get, it was miserable existence. Oh, yeah. And then recognizing the grace of God. And that's what prepared me for university when I went through more doubting because I was in the sciences. And so Mm -hmm. we had all the evolution and all those things and not a part of a community. And I'm way too independent in that sense of the word, which I think it's a third culture kid thing. You know, I'm going to make my own one, do my, I don't have to, I wasn't mad at church or anything. I just didn't go. And so sorting through all these things kind of alone, Mm -hmm. some friends, you know, and then it was one particular point in university toward the end when I examined all these things. And then the one thing that for me, I couldn't deny was the life of my parents. Wow. Because I saw people's lives changed and I saw what they were. And of course, there's other elements involved in that. But the Lord just graciously then that revelation came. And that was my, so I was probably 21 or something like that. Wow. The sort of full journey, you know. So now I remember, you know, Pam, you and I have talked and I've heard you share before that when you really gave your life back to the Lord, that desire to go on the mission field rekindled. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you married George, did he know you had this desire to go on the mission field? He knew what he was getting into as far as my package of where I'd been. Mm -hmm. And he loved the commitment to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that he fully knew. And I just kind of believed that Mm -hmm. somehow that was going to happen because he would see that too. 
And Russia was on your mind at that time or was somewhere else? No, I was to go was on my mind. All right. Actually, it was just to go. Okay. And there was going to be a place. So, you know, we're going to end this session in about eight minutes and then we're going to make everyone have to leave on a cliffhanger and know the rest (laughs) in part two. But as we, we kind of sum this up, you um you and George get married and you go to Indiana? Okay, we got married actually Kentucky. Okay. Kentucky. Where he, he in Maysville, okay. Kentucky, where he had started a coffee house ministry. Right. And then we went to Portsmouth, Ohio and became a part of a church that was it was all during that, you know, Asbury Revival time mm-hmm. and everything's oh. moving on. And we went to a church in Portsmouth and we, you know, got involved there and we had coffee house ministry and everything. And things happened there that we felt like, I don't know if this is the place for us, you know, mm-hmm. always stories and stories. And then we decided that we needed just to leave and start going west. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so my husband was also a construction worker. And so we had a couple of places where he'd fixed up and we we moved into a place and we bought a van cash because of what he'd done. And by then we had twins that were a few months old. And we said, we just read a book about somebody in Arizona. And we thought, we like that. This is where we're going to go. We went to Arizona, traveled out, camped out all the way and stuff. Went to that church thinking he'd go, you're just the people I want. He shakes our hand as we go out. And we go, well, we're here and we're here. And he goes, oh, that's nice. And we stepped out and we go, what what just happened? (laughs) And so I said, you know, somebody had told us about Calvary who had lived with and ministered with us. We'd ministered to boys who'd come out of jail and stuff. And, um, and he said, please, if you get that close, he'd been to Pennsylvania mm-hmm. to a pastor's going, you get that close. You have to go to Calvary Chapel. Well, I mean, we were oh. close. And so he said, fine. Arizona, we don't know what's going to happen next. Might yes. as well go. We went. And it, it was a miraculous. Like he went in without me because I had the twins. But he went in and he stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed. So I got the <laughs> twins out. I rolled in. And I don't want to be too whatever, but it was right. And I remember Mm. your dad's message, that first thing, because we were both kind of hurting and Mm -hmm. we were coming from a place and Mm. uh, was, I think it's Psalm 136. Mm. And he was just, he was reading it and he told us all to read. That's the one that goes, his mercies endure forever after Mm -hmm. every deadly verse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm the kind of person that I'm counted ahead the verses. Mm. And I thought, this is going to take a while. (laughs) And so he reads it and then I dutifully do what we're supposed to do. But at the end of the chapter, I was weeping. Because the mercies of the Lord endure forever. Mm-hmm. And we were where we were supposed to be at the time. Mm. So that's kind of our... How long wow. were you in California with Calvary? I think about six months. Okay, oh, six months. Long. And then it's after that that you went out too? We're always talking to your dad. And George mm-hmm. wanted to see every part of the ministry. So he did children's mm-hmm. ministry when I went on Friday to your mom. I mean, he just, he went Tuesdays. We went together always on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I got disciplined to put my children in because I thought they might die if I put them in the nursery and they cried. I got over it and I put them in the nursery. And he ended by taking a trip to Israel with a small group of pastors. And um, and we just asked Chuck, do you know anybody? They want a church. We went to Texas first. That wasn't mm-hmm. the place. He led us all the way back to Indiana mm-hmm. where we did not particularly want to go. He'd write Chuck and he'd go, well, start something where you are. And George would go. He doesn't know what it's like in Indiana. (laughs) Chuck doesn't know what it's like. But that's what happened. So how long were you in Indiana? We were in Indiana, I should have counted years, 12 plus years. Oh, And and so that's when you had even more children. Now, Mm -hmm. what's phenomenal, you have six biological children. Eight. Eight biological children. I thought it was six. Okay, eight biological children. And I remember you sharing one time that you were told you would never have children. Yes. And at first, our twins were born on our fourth anniversary. Mm-hmm. And and I always, I know this is dumb, I always thought I wouldn't be able to have any more. Mm-hmm. And so oh. I thought, okay, oh no, probably won't have any more. And we did. Eight children. Apparently. Eight children. Yes. 
So that's incredible. So this first part was just kind of like getting to know you because the Mm. second part I really want to talk about, because what I find fascinating is you could have been settled in Indiana. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got six children. And that's why the second part of your life becomes even more remarkable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So to speak. And I'm, I'm thinking of those people out there that think, well, I'm so settled. Yeah, yeah. And how God has this way of unsettling you. So we've got a few minutes left, but tell me a little bit about, you know, your six children. You should have felt totally settled in Indiana. What was kind of the mental or spiritual thing that was going on? The it, rustling, so to speak. Okay. Maybe you get the six children because there were eight. Oh, eight children. Thank yeah, you. but maybe the six children because what I've shared before is I always thought God would call us to the mission field. I always wanted to go. And I just prayed where mm-hmm. we continued. to. I went back to Africa at one point after some of the kids were born. Mm. Just see your and, parents. and yeah, yeah, see my parents. It was a wonderful trip. I mean, but all the church took care of the kids. There were seven at the time. But um, yeah, so I always thought we'd go. I always expected that. When I had the sixth child, I thought, okay. Maybe we aren't going to go, but they are. Mm, And I began to intentionally pour into them what I had a desire to do. And so for me, I was never settled, Mm -hmm. always looking. But maybe I settled in then because I think the Lord said, you don't know what I have for you. Because for me, it was the joy of my heart when we were called out Mm -hmm. to go. Other things happened that wasn't so joyful, but the Mm -hmm. call was, yeah. Well, when when we get to the second half, when we talk about some of the hardships and everything that you encountered, I mean, that's incredible. But I, you know, I do remember when Brian said there's this family with eight children and they're trying to go to Russia and I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember that we were in Vista at the time and you're like, obviously I was like six children. He's like, no, eight, eight children. (laughs) So maybe that's why I'm getting it wrong too. Eight children. So that's that's quite a commitment. So this is um, Cheryl Broderson, Jasmine Alnut. We're in studio with Pamela Markey and we're getting her remarkable story. And that was just the first half because yes. there's a, a second half because Pamela um, in our second part, you're going to find out she went on the mission field and she really hasn't left it since. <laughs> but there's been a lot of curveballs and everything. And I just wanted you to know who we were talking to, get a little bit of her background before we jump into the second part. So we want to thank you for joining us on this episode, don't we, Jasmine? Yes, we do. Thank you for joining us. And come back again. You want to hear the rest of this. And thank you for those of you who are writing in with some of your suggestions. We're taking it to heart. Some of you have even told us about relatives and their names. We Mm -hmm. can't wait to feature them. And yes, we are busily doing our research, aren't we, We're compiling. Yes, Yes. we are. (laughs) So thank you for writing in. And you probably wrote to... WWK at cccm.com. Oh, Jasmine's so much better at these things. That's the only part I remember. You're so good. So that's (laughs) WWK at cccm.com. And thank you. And that's it for today on Women Worth Knowing. Women Worth Knowing. That's right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.